Hello, my fine friends. Welcome to another Rahalastapa this week with the charming and hilarious Catherine Bohart. Um, if you haven't seen her yet, she is a definitely a name to watch. Uh, really fantastic comedian and brilliant person. Um, uh, I'm in the BDSM driving school offices right now. I hope Peter Dibdin doesn't catch me. We are hopefully doing more Twitch of fun very soon, including some sketches uh, as well as the usual puppetry. Usually on Thursday nights at 8pm on twitch.tv slash rkherring, where you can also catch uh, live recorded Rahalastapers and me playing snook against myself, though not this week because um, I'm off for a week filming in uh, actual real film. It's, you know, my career's really taken off. Um, it's an, I'm an overnight success. It's only taken 31 years to get to this point. Um, don't think I'm playing a, a, a pervert, but uh, he's an overweight businessman whose business is going down the toilet. Look at my bearded face. Um, so uh, do check out my Twitch channel. Do become a badger if you would like. Do subscribe if you're with Amazon Prime on Twitch.tv. It doesn't even cost you anything and we still get money uh, if you're with Amazon Prime. Uh, otherwise, why not just sit back, relax and enjoy Rehalestapa with Catherine Bowhart. Here it is. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Please welcome a man who's just been serenaded by a bottomless muffin man. It's Richard Herring. Hello. <laughs> Uh, welcome to Richard Herring's Lottery Sperm Top Dog podcast. Uh, I've got some sperm behind me going to an egg. It suddenly feels like uh, a misjudgment uh, for the podcast. Uh, I just thought, you know, thinking about how we're all the sperm that made that won that lottery and, and, and existed. When you think about it, 600 million to one, we're all here, and that's just for that one little go. So that's, I've decided to make the whole podcast just about that. We'll see how that goes. But I was talking to all the sperm uh, in the ejaculation that created me who didn't uh, make the egg. They're pretty cool about it. Uh, they call it Rahalastapa. So I think I don't know if that's going to catch on. Uh, the reason I uh, decided to put that picture up was because um, over Christmas, we're recording this just before New Year, 30th of December. Uh, we just had Christmas uh, with the, just the family. It's been quite nice. I don't want to say that in case my in-laws are watching. But uh, just for once, it was nice just to uh, just have the four of us. Um, but my son's becoming a little bit more theatrical. He's three years old. Uh, a couple of days ago, my daughter knocked something down that he was playing with, and he turned to her and said, "You've ruined my life," which I thought was a uh, was an overreaction. But that's he is quite theatrical. Uh, and then yesterday, he was upset about something, and I can't even remember what it was. It was it wasn't a big deal. He ran to my wife, hu hu hugged her, pointed at her stomach, and said, "Put me back in the egg." Because uh, uh, he knows that's where he, he knows he came from an egg inside his mum, and he and he, and she said, "What in my tummy?" He said, "Yeah, put me back in my egg." <laughs> so that, that's a three-year-old's. I didn't ask to be born. I thought that was a beautiful way of putting it. So uh, I, we decided it would be a mistake to try and put him back in the egg for all concerned, and we have kept him out of the egg for now. Uh, but just downstairs, just now, he was standing on an armchair singing, "Have you seen the Muffin Man?" or "Do you know the Muffin Man?" And we were laughing at him because he was quite funny. And then he really enjoyed the laughing. And then uh, he took down his pyjama bottoms <laughs> and started dancing with no bottoms on. And we laughed more. Uh, and then we said, put some bottoms on. He said, I'm the muffin man. <laughs> I don't wear trousers. Um, I think he might be a comedian. I think he might be a comedian. We will find out. I think both of them might be. Uh, let's see what else I've got for you. Um, uh, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll quickly talk about... Um, yes, sorry. I've got that piece of paper there. Um, 
uh, if you are watching on Christmas Day, uh, I've won my third TV show apparently in a month, even though Tipping Point was actually recorded in July 2019. Uh, the Chase was recorded in uh, September and and uh, Taskmaster was even finished in July. But they've all come out in the three weeks and uh, we had a very thrilling time on The Chase with Kay Burley hugging her. We, you know, she's broken the COVID rules once. Let's break them again. This was actually again before that. Uh, so very good fun. I hope you enjoyed it. Poor old Tim Lovejoy there got knocked out. What a shame. We won £150,000. That's not bad, is it? I'm in danger of damaging the brand is what I'm saying. I meant to come second and I've just won three things. There's also a point of celebrities in the can ready to go out at some point. How did I do in that? If I win that, that's the end of it. That's the end of me. Uh, but my main thing at Christmas that blew my mind was... Um, on Boxing Day, I was uh, there was a cartoon in one of the papers about the Three Kings being criticised for moving around during lockdown. It was what you imagine, not very good. But it used the phrase traverse afar, which I had never heard, and I couldn't understand what why it was saying traverse afar in it. Uh, had the cartoonist gone mad? You know, we all know the lyrics of We Three Kings. We Three Kings of Orientar, bearing gifts we travel so far, right? I know that better than anyone because I was the frankincense king at primary school when I was eight. And even if I had learned the song without reading it, and I could read by the time I was eight, so I probably did read it, then I've sung the song so many times over the last half a century that I've and I've read it, what I've been singing it, and I've never seen the phrase traverse afar. Uh, I would have had the words in front of me and surely noticed this weird fucking phrase that doesn't even make sense. You traverse something. You can't traverse afar. You traverse a thing. It doesn't even make sense. But if you look it up, those are the lyrics. I've got through 54 Christmases without even realising the lyrics of the hymn are all over the place. And Jen, John Henry Hopkins Jr., who wrote it, is a fucking idiot. Uh, it's a terrible hymn. It's clunky from the start. We Three Kings of Orientar. It's odd for a first line of a song to have tortuous grammar in order to get a rhyme. You can make the first line anything you want. Feels like he really wanted to call them Kings from the Orient for some, realize, for some reason and then realised there's no rhyme for Orient, but he wasn't going to let that get in the way. He could have said, we three kings have followed a star, bearing gifts we travelled quite far. That would be That's what I'd have done. Uh, of course, as kids, you all thought they came from Orient Art. We all thought that. We don't even need to say it. We don't need to talk about the alternate lyrics. We know about that. Um, Richard Osman then tweeted, because I tweeted about this, and then he told me it's God rest ye merry, comma, gentlemen. It's not merry gentlemen. It's God rest ye merry, not the gentleman. And it's also jingle, comma, bells, not jingle bells. It's a command to the bells. It's not a type of bell. I've got to 54 and I didn't know any of the 53 is my 54th Christmas and I didn't know any of this shit and it's absolutely traverse afar. Did you know that? I did not know that. I'm very, very upset. Right. Um, we are going to crack on with the show. That's my Christmas stand up going out in mid January for most people. Right. My guest this week is probably best known for being the guest contributor on the paper review on talk radio. <laughs> That's why we're all here. That's what. That's what. That's probably where you've seen her before. Uh, we please welcome Catherine Bohart, ladies and gentlemen. Hello. Hello. I was also the Frankincense King. Were you? Yeah. Can we sing it together? I. We didn't have to sing it because I had Duh. a teacher who was like clearly wanted to be a comedian, and she wrote her own version of the Nativity every uh. year. That was, by the way, exclusively innuendo, but. She cast three ginger women, which you three ginger children, which you could do in an all girls school in Ireland, to be the kings, so that we'd all look like triplets, I guess. <laughs> um, and and I just uh, wanted to tell you that. Hello, that's good. Well, I'm glad we sh we share something. We did sing it too. So I sang the whole bloody thing, and it wasn't traverse so far. 
Um, anyway, a bit embarrassingly, we've come in wearing the same clothes. We have and you, have played the same role. God, I didn't know we had so much in common. <laughs> it's crazy. It is. Um, good. Do you remember the talk radio paper review that you're best known for? Do you remember what you reviewed in that? Uh, it's on your website, so you must be very proud <laughs> of it. Is it? <laughs> It's in your list of credits on your website. I couldn't uh, find anything on that. MVP. I'd love that. I do think that I wrote that, but I just copied and pasted it from my agent. Um, I, I mean, I. I think it was your first thing you probably ever did, and it was on there to begin with, yeah. and then you've subsequently done some stuff. That's <laughs> but you have to bulk superior. it out, don't you? You have to at the you start. Do, you're yeah, like, I with. am a person who performs. Um, <laughs> no, I haven't got a clue what I was reviewing on. No. I talk radio. I don't even remember being there. Never mind. Gosh, that's weird. You, do, you end up doing so many of those things. And then the things you remember are things that nothing, you know, but like sometimes you meet like incredible people on those radio shows. Um, the one that was most exciting, John Sim was on just after me on one of those things. I don't think it was talk radio, it was the That's BBC cool. somewhere. And uh, it was just when he was the master in Doctor Who. And I literally couldn't speak. Oh, I was so, no. I was so in awe of him. I think he's amazing, but I was, and he kind of knew who I was, because he knows Kevin Eldon, I think. So uh, he sort of knew who I was, but I was just like, a gibbering wreck and Ken Loach I took. I did one with Ken Loach it's crazy who you end up meeting okay I didn't know mine is not like oh I just can't remember which giant celebrity was on after <laughs> me that didn't happen to me I probably was at the very start of my career went in and did it didn't get paid and so stole some loo roll from the bathroom like that was probably much course. more my story <laughs> Well, that's that's I've deliberately I've deliberately picked on it. Thank you. You've done some others. You've done stuff almost as good as that since then. So don't worry. It's, yeah. it's been good. How has um, we're recording this right at the end of 2020. So let's uh, how's 2020 been for you, <laughs> Catherine? I mean, um, it's a bin fire, right? Like it's a bin fire. I even as I tried to answer that, I got most of my own hair in my mouth. And I was like, that's the year. That's it. I'm, let me just. Uh, yeah, no, it's been terrible. Um, but <laughs> and consistently so. So it kind of gets yeah. you used to it. I will say, like, I was talking about this to my friend the other day. And I, I feel like 2020 was an awful lot worse for the people who came into it thinking life had meaning. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, I think those people yeah. are more crushed. Um, yeah. So, no, it's been terrible, but I feel like it has ultimately just exposed what life actually is. And because none of us have our distractions and now we're all just staring at what it is. And it's like, do you mean the meaning wasn't the haircuts and the lunch is out? And you're like, well, no shit, Sherlock. Yeah. Um, no, it's been bad. Um, um, am I supposed to make that? I should make it light. Um, no, you can say it's, it's, you're allowed to say it's bad. Mine's been all right. I'm so but, you know, glad. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm married with kids and live in the countryside. It's sort of the same. Yeah. And I don't have to go. <laughs> I sort of don't want to go out. So I'm kind of glad to not have to go mm -hmm. out. Um, and, you know, I've become a ventriloquist. I mean, that is the, that's, you had me on to yeah. the last bit. I was like, yeah. oh, that is. Oh, you're having a breakdown. Yeah, okay. I feel I'm having that's a breakdown. That's all right. Denial is an important step. You got to get through it. That's fine. Um, you know, mine was, I mean, obviously our industry uh, disappeared. And so too then did our incomes. And then also you can't really meaningfully connect with people. And then uh, me personally, my five-year relationship ended. Um, right. Not my decision, but props to her because it is a good one. And um, what else happened this year? Um, you know, like I can't see my mom because she's high risk. And, um, and it's, yeah, it's bad, but a lot of good telly. Cool. Okay. Well, I've broken you down. I'm going to build you up <laughs> over the... <laughs> but I think, you know, that was... It sort of make or break. That's what I sort of feel. I like... 
because we moved about three years ago and you know that was very stressful and we had a new a new new baby three years ago and we had to all this stuff at once it's been quite stressful living in this house and then you kind of think going through something like this this year that's going to be that's a real test of a relationship oh yeah uh, if you and, if you make uh, it through 2020 yeah I, I applaud you. <laughs> I really I do. Think we're, I think we're stronger than when we went in. I mean, pretty much. So that's good. So it is that make or break thing. And I know a lot of people have, but you know, because of circumstance or whatever, people have broken up. Yeah. Um, or what, do you think, was it, was it 2020 or was it was it on the cards? I mean, because I know you did a, a, a podcast together about relationships. Yeah, and- the audacity of it. <laughs> <laughs> it was called you'll do lol um i would say that i you know i i would say it was 2020 but then that's what i would say because otherwise i'd have to blame myself because i was dumped yeah. so let's say it was just a crazy year it's not like it was me um and i think but i also think you know it's fun to watch because i think either people are breaking up or like real lo- long tested relationships are solidifying but there's also another category of people who should not be but nonetheless are enthusiastically getting engaged and <laughs> those people will be breaking up next year and that'll be fun too so yeah that's true well you know relationships are kind of do- i would i you know i've been in a relationship now for like is it 13 years now it's coming up to that's insane i think it is and that's just like nothing like that had ever happened to me before. I'd I'd never got anywhere near. Like I think two. I'd managed two years a couple of times. Really? Yeah. So and I was forty when I met my wife. So it was. This is like a, you know, this is a a very different. My my life is is a completely different. Wow. To what it was before. Yeah. Because but yeah, you know, it's possible things change. Yeah. Because this was def- This was my longest relationship. Before this, I hadn't gone past a year and a half. But um, but I'm only thirty two. God, that is. Um, that's mad that you only dated people for two years until you were four. Yeah. Do you think that this sounds really, and this sounds not to take away from the romance of what is presumably your one true love. Um, but do you think that there was a correlation between your, you getting to an age where you were ready for it? And I, I think so. I did write a book about, about the year I turned 40 and I went nuts the year I turned 40. So, and then, and then sort of met my wife and then turned everything around really. So yeah, yeah it was, I think I was definitely, you know, I, I sort of had, I've had a few midlife crises and I don't think it's necessarily over in terms of it's still the older you get, oh, the sure. more difficult it is to cope with, with different things. But I think the one at 40 was pretty big. And at 50, I did a show about turning 50 and it wasn't really as big a deal. It's just, I think when you're at 50, you're just sort of accepting, Oh, actually I'm, you know, I'm sort of in the, I'm in this old group now. When you're 40, you can sort of pretend you're still in the young group and it's still a bit embarrassing, but you get away with it. But you can't, if you're 50 and doing that, you're sort of, you know it's just a bit too bit too icky so yeah i've kind of had a pretty wild year up to when i met my wife or half a year up to when i met my wife or maybe that whole year i met her at kind of christmas so sort of just before christmas um and uh yeah and so uh, that whole year had been nuts so i think it was you know i think i was ready I think it was ready and it was about meeting the right person at the right time. That gives me hope. But, uh, I feel like yeah. I think we are sold a version of uh, how things should go and when they should happen. And so it's nice to hear people have that at different points. Yeah. Yeah. And it's good. You know, it's good. And like well, we were talking, you know, I was we mentioning it in the intro, but, um, you know, having kids is, when you're a bit older is uh, is there's there's lots of good things about it. It's harder because <laughs> you're tired anyway. Yeah. But so then you're double tired. But uh, I think you also appreciate it a lot more. You know, and you appreciate. But it's yeah, the little ones. The little ones are handful. 
I'll tell you. I, I treat them like little hecklers, and I've I, I managed to keep my daughter's good though. So I was I was always congratulating myself with how patient I was with my daughter, but she was never really any trouble. And my son is just like. I want to ch- chuck him across a room, really, but I'm not. You're not allowed. No, they really advocate that you don't. Um, they're very clear on that, actually. But I, it is funny how like he hits me. I'm not. That's the point. He hits me, and I'm not allowed to hit him back. Oh, I uh, know, and I'm sure it's a very fair fight. But here's the thing: I think it's like I could, I wouldn't, I should not have children so long as I even consider treating them like hecklers, because that's not how you should speak to people. I just, no, I guess I wouldn't speak. To, but I think it was like not wanting them, not wanting to uh, lose your. T- temper with them because that's the, if you lose your temper with the heckler then it's sort of over i think you've got to make you've got to keep your cool which i always do with my nearly always do with my daughter yeah uh, and uh, my wife's very impatient the most impatient person i've ever met and loses <laughs> her cool loses her temper with them straight away and they love her so much and i'm like yeah go, come on let them mess around it's fine and they you know but they they see through me and they love her and they you know they treat like, you with like, contempt they tr- they treat me with my daughter definitely with contempt my son Increasingly, he copies his big sister. He's very affectionate. That's very funny. Time, but uh, so that's nice. It's nice. But yeah, so it's uh, it's uh, and, and how's Christmas been? Because you've been you weren't able to obviously to get back to see your folks. Yeah, I didn't go home. I'm a massive Christmas person, like huge. Right. I love it. I like everybody else to be on my level of hype. I don't want to hear about how you don't think Christmas is great, like or you think it's consumerist, like you don't have a novel opinion. We get it. You're a Scrooge. <laughs> but also, it is my favorite time of the year. I love the food. I love the weather. I love all of it. And um, I just haven't been able to muster the same enthusiasm because it turns out it is the people and not the presence, which I'm stunned by. Um, But yeah, don't, I mean, don't tell my mom, but yeah, I think it might be the people. So it was a bit of a bummer, but um, you know, I get why we had to do it and my mom's high risk and uh, it wasn't worth traveling back in putting her no, in. For sure. I think uh, by the time this podcast comes out in two weeks, all the people who didn't take your sensible decision are going to probably be, yeah, not all of them, but many of them will be uh, ruining their, their uh, decision. It sort of felt like, you know, it was sort of, it's, it's interesting to have a different Christmas. I'm sort of, once you've got kids again, your views of Christmas change a little bit. But I, for a few years, I've kind of thought, I think Christmas should be every other year. I think it comes, it comes along too quickly. Shut It'd be your more mouth. special. It'd be more special if it was every other year. Oh my, but, it's um, not the Edinburgh Fringe, Richard. We can handle <laughs> one a year, give over. But also, like, I, and I'm sure it's better if you have kids. Have that changed your mind? Yeah, you know, because they got, I mean, now they both get it. So it's it was very special and it would be awful to de- deny them. Because <laughs> when you're a kid, a year takes a long time. When you're an adult, and especially when you're in your 50s, a year goes like that. It just feels like yesterday that my father-in-law seemed to have COVID over Christmas in hindsight, but maybe he didn't. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he, he has had it, but and he's had no symptoms apart from last Christmas, but uh, mm. apparently it wasn't here last Christmas, but was it? Um, so I might have had it. But because uh, I got whatever he had, but uh, I will say, yeah. So it's gone. It's goes very fast. But no, it's 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 really yeah. I, I'm a I'm a fan of Christmas. I think we should have just have shifted it to July. If we'd said July, we're gonna have a July 25th or June 20th. I'm doing that anyway. I don't yeah. care. It's happening. I will say I I shouldn't sound too pious. Like in many ways, the decision was taken out of my hands because my flight was booked for after Tier Four was announced. So right, I'd I'd love to. I I do want to be clear. Like I. I probably wouldn't have gone, um, but I also don't want to be like, yes, I made the right decision. Like, if my mom lived in Brighton, 
I might have gone, do you know? And yeah. I don't, I wish, because that's so not the spirit of the, of the recommendation of the law, right? They weren't like, well, go until was... 12, it's fine. And after 12, it's not fine. Yeah. But equally, like, I, I get that this year has been an absolute, like yeah but they fucked it up if they oh, yeah. if they'd said if they'd said in october look we're not going to be able to have christmas mm-hmm. which they did know really and i i think they just thought we need people to spend the money and then we'll Fuck, once they spent the money we'll reveal that we're not i think so because we ended up you know we bought course, we were only going to have course. like uh th- three other well four other people were going to have my wife's family were going to come over uh and uh so we bought a turkey for eight people you know but of we course. would if if you had known in october you'd have bought a chicken or you'd have bought a very small turkey or half mm-hmm. a turkey mm-hmm. so you spent all the money you were going to spend we spent like loads of money on booze and cheese and ch- turkey i actually in the end i've enjoyed eating we've eaten I was the whole turkey say, oh no I, too it. much cheese <laughs> <laughs> what a nightmare done, there's a lot to, there's a lot too much cheese there's a we got a lot of cheese because my brother-in-law loves cheese and we we that's a big family thing. So we did have a lot of cheese. So we're we're having cheese as our dinner quite that's a lot. Fine, you can make a mac and cheese. <laughs> but but cheese we're through pie. the we're through the turkey. We're through the turkey. Yeah, no, it's nice. Um, so yeah, so I think I think they if they'd let us all know, then I think people would have accepted it. But I think what's happened is people have done. I think a lot of people have on the sly met up. And, oh, 100%. You know, and what's happening as we're, as we're, you know, this is the worst day for COVID, I think, of the year. And this isn't even the Christmas, this isn't even Christmas. This is Christmas parties, maybe, but this isn't even Christmas. So Christmas is, it's going to coincide with this going out. Uh, and yeah. I'll be delighted to be proven right. Uh, yes, as this what, goes out. What a win and a victory it will be <laughs> to discover even more people are ill and we were right all along. <laughs> yes. You've got to get. But I know, I'm I'm old enough to be. I've you know I don't think I'm like hugely at risk. But I've had friends my age who've been really ill with it, and you know obviously I'm in. It's possible in your fifties. Uh, it's like the one of the one of the right wing columnists was saying only 177 people under 60 have died in the whole country. And you go, what is 60? The cutoff point is all right as long as you were 61. Yeah, that's not that's a that's not a bad not. Exactly. I don't want to die at 61. Uh, Me so um, yeah, but uh, it's uh, yeah so. I, it's a bad time to get it now, though, isn't it? If you just, you just the finish line is in view. Yeah, it does and the feel like vaccine could be there. It does feel like a real, like you've really been unlucky if you get it, or fucking stupid, which I'm gonna guess it's the latter. But you know, um, no, I think I also think it's a shame that they they put Christmas on a pedestal. They were very much like just everyone behave and then we'll all have a big reward at Christmas. So then they kind of shot themselves in the foot because even if they had wanted to roll it back, they'd made it such a big thing. Yeah. It's like, oh God. Well, even about a week before he was, Johnson was saying, oh, Keir Starmer wants to cancel Christmas. And that was his, you know, it's a, but it's astonishing. It doesn't matter what you say now. I mean, this is this gets into your satirical work that you do on the mm-hmm. MASH report, which is fantastic. Uh, I was watching some of that again today. and uh, But it's... It sort of got to the point where, um, you know, there's just there's no need to tell the truth at all. It does. There's no repercussions for just barefaced lying about. Stuff. Yeah, I, it does kind of take us to the point, really, which is that we are working from a premise that government acts in our interest or cares yeah. for us. Let's we should we should roll back and remember who is government. So, uh, no, like obviously they fucked it, but they don't care or have any remorse for the fact that they've no. done so. So there's that at oh, least well. they'll plow on. <laughs> So you said you'd had a, a bad day today as well. Is that you had, have you had a bad or you just had a weird day today? 
how bad is it that in this interview you're like, so someone's had a bad day? <laughs> um, <laughs> tell me, tell me more yeah. about the bad things that happened to you. Okay, well, obviously Christmas was a hoot. And then I thought, what better way to just sort of guide me into the new year than to um, have a flooded kitchen? And so thankfully, my um, pipes uh, were listening and they decided to, the one in the kitchen decided to burst today, yesterday, and flood my kitchen. And then I rang the people I was supposed to ring and said, hello, the drainage pipe from my washing machine and dishwasher is obviously burst or loose or something so it's flooding my kitchen and they went it sounds like your washing machine's broken and I was like oh no it, it's definitely this and they were like okay so they sent a man to fix my washing machine at which point the washing machine man said oh no I think it's the drainage pipe and I said it fucking is yeah I did say that and he said you need a plumber and I said I did try to book one and then he spoke to the lady on the phone and they agreed that I could do with a different man that I in fact had thought I needed but thankfully while he was here this man messed with my fuse box enough that for some reason now that he's left my heating isn't working oh no so um what am I trying to say It's been, I'm just trying to stay positive, exercise, (laughs) listen to the cam app and breathe. And uh, yeah, so he's, I don't know why my heating isn't working. Look, I don't know if anybody um, can fix this right now on Twitch, but I don't know why my heating isn't working. I've been down there. Everything's on. Um, But listen, I I don't want to be like a woman who complains about men. But I would say sometimes today, specifically, they really didn't listen to me and it was a real shame. But no, it's fine. I mean, once the kitchen um, dries up again, I think life's going to go. It's all going to be uphill from there. I think 2021 is just, we're just waiting for, if you've got two more days and ever, they'll be fine. I am waiting for my kitchen to 2021 and I'm ready for it. I'm so excited. I think a lot of people are sort of banking on next year just being good again and not really paying attention to what's going on. I have a feeling, especially in the UK, I think we've... What do you mean, uh, Richard? <laughs> I think we're going to have some stuff to, to cope with uh, over the next week, with, with even without COVID. But it's the new year? It's, <laughs> so it's a new year. I don't know what... Richard, what are you saying to me? People will be saying, oh, you've got a flooded kitchen. Have you got running water in your kitchen? <laughs> You're allowed to have that. That's wonderful. Oh, well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry it's all gone so badly wrong for you. Oh, that's but, you know, right. it's good for the podcast because it's quite funny. Oh, that's good. I'm so pleased. Yeah. Listen, yeah. if people couldn't laugh at my uh, <laughs> fucking bin fire of a year, then it would be a real shame. Um, I do, thankfully, at least have things to say now. Uh, you know, yeah. there's a bit of... Uh, I'll, I'll give you the chat. I don't usually, usually look at the chat room, but I'll give you their advice. Please. Um, uh, turn it off and on again is uh, the main advice. Okay. Uh somebody said something like it's all disappeared off now. I'll there try was that. Uh, there was so there was one good thing there but it's uh, probably pressure something is have you checked the pressure of the boiler? Uh, do you know how to do that? No, I don't know how to do that. No, uh, you might just fiddle find the the, the new house someone suggests <laughs> uh, is the, the thermostat on. Have you put the thermostat on? It's on, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I actually prefer a new house. I'm just like, I just, I do sometimes think about just walking out of my apartment and never coming back again. So the, 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 the most people are saying check the pressure. So you need to go to your boiler and find the pressure gauge and then uh, dick, dick around with that. But that's, that's the best I can do. Someone will uh, tweet you. Okay. What are these? 
one of these nerds will tweet you. Great. Thanks, and, uh, guys. Tell you Please it. tweet me. Yeah, this they'll, is they'll great. Excellent. Make sure the pressure is at one bar minimum. Rufus T. Firefly the second. These one guys bar. are good. You just have a problem. You just, just come in and then I don't is know that, how to change it. Is, is that on my, is that on the, okay, sorry to be an idiot, but is that on the boiler or on the water tank? Yeah. I'm, I'm pointing. On, Which the, one? Bo- on the actual boiler. That is. So there should be like a little uh, gauge and uh, uh, with bars, I think, isn't it? Okay. The needle. There's a little circle bit with a needle in it. And you, I don't know how you, uh, someone's saying bleed the radiators. I've uh, bled the so radiators. Andy McCage says, I'm not sure we're Corgi certified. <laughs> uh, someone wants 150 quid. Oh my uh, God, you're going to have... So you should have an inlet valve that uh, can increase the pressure. I mean, this is useful, not just for you, but people at home listening to this podcast are having trouble with their boilers. Gosh. So, you know, I don't, I don't mind spending three or four minutes on this because there will be other people... Who uh, similarly? No, this, this is great. Position. I mean, I have bled the radi- radiators because that's something I learned to do this year. Um, because okay. um, a woman, because I'd never known, because every man in my life has acted like that's a fucking state secret and like there's actual blood involved. Genuinely, my dad would be like, "I'm bleeding the radiators. Don't look." Like I was like, like he did it with his dick, but he, um, I was like, "What's going on?" But he, the, it turns out, um, a woman came to from British Gas during the year, and she was like, "Do you want me to bleed your radiators before I go? I can show you as well if you want." And I was like what did you just say to me? And she was like, I could just show you. And I was like, absolutely dumbfounded. So I like filmed her because I was like, this is going to be complicated. It's just turning a key and letting it the is. air out and waiting for the water. It's like a hand job. Easy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't believe it. Sorry. I think it can. I think hand jobs are more, got more complicated. Probably. I can't ever, I can't say it's been a, <laughs> it's been a big thing in my life. <laughs> Well, I would say the hand jobs I've had from women is more complicated than uh, bleeding a radio. I'm very good at it myself. But, th- but uh, this is why I sleep with women, my friend. Yeah. Like, yeah, obviously you're better if you have one. Yeah, well, you should be. I would just say that don't twist it too far and the thing comes out and then the water goes everywhere. This is back to the, uh, <laughs> back to the radiators. radiators. <laughs> <laughs> but I've done that. Good I've had a bit. I, when I, because the hardest thing about bleeding radiators is remembering where your fucking radiator key is. So that's the thing that every time I bleed my radiators, I have to go around the house and work out where I left the key. I thought initially when I, so little did I know about DIY that I thought it was a key for the window. So I keep mine on the window ledge. So I never forget. Cause I'm like, Oh, it's with the other keys for the window. <laughs> it's fine. But yes, that is a good point. Yeah. You do need to know where it is. And then I did, well, I did it once and the bit inside came out and then you've got to screw that back in again. And there's really sometimes quite hot water squirting and dirty water squirting at you. Oh, so just, uh, no. just play it. Just be gent- very gentle Twist it gently. Are we still uh, on radiators? <laughs> we no, we're back to the. I went back. I went back to the hand job. Um, just turn it gently, and it'll be fine. Okay. Uh, good. Well, oh dear. Rules for life. Let, this is good. <laughs> so let's see what else. What else should I talk to you about? But try. Let's try and cheer you. Well, look, I'm interested in this because you uh, you obviously uh, raised in Ireland, and your dad. It says on uh, Wikipedia, by the way, citation needed on this. So Ooh. we can use this podcast to citation, uh, to get the citation. Your dad is and was a Catholic deacon. He is. Yes. So there we go. That's that's what needed a citation. Yeah, on the he is. Page. My dad um, My dad entered the diaconate when I was, I guess he started training for it when I was 19 and was ordained when I was like 23 because you have to do a degree uh, in okay. theology. And, um, yep. 
That's what he is. It's like a yeah. it's like a part time priest, I guess. They're not paid. They're like lay priests, um, essentially. Okay. So he was when you were growing up. He wasn't. Uh, he wasn't. He's become one since you've become an adult. Yes. So my dad was training to be a priest in a seminary yeah. when my mom met him. Oh right. Okay. And then he met my mother, and then he was written yeah. out of wills, and she was referred to as the devil woman. What a saga! And then, <laughs> um, because he realized he wanted to have kids. What? Gross. And then, um, so he always had the proclivity. And then, because the Irish Catholic Church are a bit like the mafia, they kind of kept tabs on him. And so when they brought in the diaconate, they were like, do you remember when you used to want to do still want to? And he was like, okay. Um, But I guess basically what happened in Ireland was they were running out of priests and um, they couldn't have women do it, obviously. So they just let married men do it. (laughs) But it's really weird because if you're not married when you're a deacon, you have to take the vow of celibacy. But if you are married, you have that wife. But if she dies, then you don't get to have any more sex. Right, okay. Yeah. It's a, it's an odd thing to, out of all the, I mean, there's many odd things about religion, but where does that come from? And Because that's only, is that only Catholicism of the Christian uh, churches that that for, forbids that? I bet, I bet it isn't, but uh, it's, it's, it's sort of odd to, to you know, to, I think Buddhist monks. A very monks. natural thing, and it's and you know, and it's going to lead to problems, isn't it? Because you're going to get people, the the kind of people who gravitate <laughs> towards that. I think, are maybe going to be into have other interests. Yeah, it's disconcerting. <laughs> I don't know where the correlation is, but it's very disconcerting, and it's such an odd one, given that like priests in Ireland function as like family counselors so often. Yeah, and it's like, well. What the hell is he going to tell you about having a wife? He doesn't freaking know, like, or anything else. But I think Buddhists do it as well. Monks, right? Sometimes are celibate. Yeah. Um, but there's really no need. Like, I think if anything, it would make the whole thing seem a lot more normal if they could just have sex. I hate to go back to the chat room. Dr. Von too. the church was a thousand years old before it definitively took a stand in favor of celibacy in the 12th century at the second Lateran... The Turin Council held in 1139, I think this might be copy and pasted, when a rule was approved forbidding priests to marry. In 1563, the Council of Trent reaffirmed the tradition of celibacy. So for the first thousand years, uh, priests were allowed to have wives. And, you know, if you've seen the Borgias and things. Oh, yeah, those popes they, had they, kids they, for sure, for they, sure. They were, all, they were all at it. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, mm. I just, you know, it seems... Yeah, it seems. And I mean, you know, I'm not going to start having a go just at the Catholics. All religions are a bit weird, but uh, that's it. It seems an odd decision. But I was going. So I was going to see. The reason I was interested in it was because my dad's a headmaster. A lot of comedians have, you know, priests or uh, various clergymen as 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 fathers, bishops. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there's a couple of bishops. Mm-hmm. Kids are comedians. Um, do you think there's something in that? Do you think there's something in uh, a father being a figure of authority that, I mean, obviously your dad wasn't really when you were growing up, so I mean, may, he, this he may was, fall apart as an argument. I mean, he was a, a deacon for, I guess, he he started the process well before, I because I didn't start comedy till I was 27, but, um, right. and he was very religious and we went to mass a lot. So I guess that was a big, I think, I think to a degree you could definitely say that like, being used to watching somebody captivate or fail to captivate an audience on a weekly basis is a pretty intrinsic part of religion. I would say that if you are within it in that very, um, 
close way, which I was raised, um, and you go against it, then you have to learn to defend that position and speak up for yourself and take on a large group of people probably quite often and deflect with humor or justify with whatever it is. So maybe that is um, part of... I mean, my parents were quite, were and are quite religious. Not I was made to go to church and stuff when I was younger. Uh, we were C of E uh, and, uh, you know, and I quickly turned against it. I was sort of into it and then turned against it at about, at about the age of eight, I would say. Oh, okay. Um, I would say I was into it till I was like 17. Um, and But I also think like there's a real hardened cynicism that comes with having th- thought you had faith and then losing faith. Like I think, sure. I think there is something in that that like it really, it's a bit like a heartbreak, um, but it's very, but it also makes you the fool. So I think maybe that lends itself to comedy. Um, okay, yeah. It, it, I think there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of nonsense in, in religion. I think if you do, whatever way you look at it, there's, you're going to tell you know, it's very, um, if you really study it, it contradicts, you know, the Bible contradicts itself over and over again. But there's sort of crazy stuff in there. So I think like if you've got the kind of mind that's a comedic mind, I think you'll even if you keep your faith, which some people do, I think you'd still see the intrinsic kind of humour in. Absolutely. You know. Also, in an Irish Catholic community as small as the one I was raised in, religion was a tool for policing other people's behaviour. So it was effectively a study of people, which is yeah. glorious, and reporting on other people to each other, which is like incredible. Like so, and and in the way that I was raised it was sort of a lower middle class community. So how pious you were would sort of contribute to your, to your, to your sort of middle class appearance. So it was like sure. it compensated for a lack of money, which meant that it was competitive, which is also brilliant, but it was definitely a study of people. And like also absolutely insane stuff happens in churches. Like insane, like one of my cousins was christened and, um, the father was absent, shall we say. And whatever month of gospel it was that year or that and that month, just while she was being christened over the altar, there was just a banner that said, where is the father? And <laughs> truly, it was just a whole bunch of people trying to keep their shit together and not laugh all the way through this poor child's christening. Uh, and it's like, or like I went home and my mom was like, did you hear about the pigeon? And I was like, no and what does what kind of sentence is that and she's like you heard about the pigeon in the church I was like I didn't hear about the pigeon in the church because that kind of travel news does not travel the Irish sea what are you talking about and she's like well there was only a pigeon in a church and she they didn't know what to do with the church so then they prayed to I think it's um saint maybe it's a cc who's like of animals to get this bloody yeah. thing to come out but it was causing a fuss during mass and everyone was up in arms about the pigeon in the church because it was disrespectful Anyway, it was going to shit in the altar. They were sure it was going to shit in the altar and they couldn't have it. So I was like, mom, what is the point of the story? And what, what do they do to the pit? Because they not just open the door. And she's like, your father was down there opening the doors. They tried that for ages, Catherine. They put the bread outside. She suddenly brought more pigeons. There was load of pigeons outside the church. Then they wanted more. No, they didn't want more pigeons in the church. Anyway, they just shot it. <laughs> and I was like, What? And she was like, oh, yeah, they just shot it. And I was like, sorry, so you prayed to the patron saint of animals and then you killed an animal. And she was like, it wasn't me, Catherine. I don't know why you're coming at me with this. And I was like, you told me this story. I just, and like, I don't know, there's just, 
the physicalization of contradiction that is so per- like personally exemplified in churches is funny. And I maybe you yeah. couldn't help but pick up on that. I also think maybe like maybe there's something in like the need for other people to believe what you do, which I think is sometimes what comedy is an endeavor in achieving. Yeah, maybe. I mean, also, you know, it's, it sort of strikes me a bit like social media. It's sort of social media before social media, isn't it? In that you're trying, you group together with people who agree with you and get cross with people who don't agree with you. And you're all trying to show off and point up other people's hypocrisy and hope no one <laughs> turns that on you. Absolutely. Like Whenever when on social media someone's get, go, how dare. I think like Frankie Ball was getting it this week because uh, he, he was critical of Ricky Gervais. And then people go, how can Frankie Ball say that when he's done jokes about this in the past? You know, how can anybody say anything about anything? Yep. You've all fucked up at some yep. point in the past. You've all changed your mind about something. You've all said something ridiculous. How can anyone even like start throwing the hypocrisy angle at someone? It's fine. You know, if you've changed your mind about something, that doesn't make you a hypocrite. It means you've learned and grown. Oh, no, but, you uh, couldn't have learned. You were either wrong or you were right. And that's the end of it. <laughs> Honestly, it's all there in the Bible, Richard. It's very clear. Um, yeah, no, it absolutely is that. I think it's a good description. Um, but I don't know. I d- I wonder also if maybe like, I mean, I'm really trying to answer your question, but I am completely hypothesizing, but I feel like maybe there's something in like rules and yeah. I I think there's something very like sensible about people who are raised in the church and they want sensible goals and they want sensible, safe outcomes and they want to be able to ensure those with rules. And I know like being a comedian does not make any sense to my family or it certainly didn't. And I'm not even sure it makes sense to me because it seems so outside side of the bounds of safe. Um, yeah. But maybe that's why it's appealing to us. I don't but know. Let's see, a, a comedian wants to, I think, wants to question things that, you know, not, not necessarily even come up with answers, yeah. but, you know, that's the beauty of being a comedian is you don't have to have the the, <laughs> the solution to anything. Nope. You just have to point out where things are bad. But if you start questioning religion, it starts falling apart. And if you're a religious person and you're really into it, you can't really start questioning it. You have to, you have to believe it all and then build on it. It's, but it's, again, it's the same thing that's happening in politics. Yeah. Uh, in, in that you, now you have to have this sort of cult-like belief in your leader, and if you anyone who questions anything about that leader or suggests they're lying or they're not perfect, it's a fucking anyway, traitor. It, yeah, it's a heretic yeah. and a traitor. So it, it, we're sort of moving, we're shifting our religion. It's obviously something innately human that we need to. It, it's something about society and being social, bringing together. But there we go. But so, so was that? Did you know as a teenager? I mean, presumably you did that you're uh, you were interested in girls as well as boys or girls instead of boys. And was that a difficult thing to then deal with coming from a religious family or, or was? Yes, with, I. Yeah. So I went to an all girls school. What? I know. And uh, <laughs> inevitable. And I um, thought I was gay insofar as I thought about it at all. I will say I was not a very sexual teenager. Like I was I didn't kiss anyone until I was 19 um, I like I wasn't I was very studious and very um, arrogant with my academics and very sure that what was most important about me was that I was smarter than you in the way that only 16 year olds can feel. And because um, I was completely unaware of all that I didn't know. But I would say so I wasn't super sexual, but insofar as I was, I thought I was gay. But I also knew that that was not something I could ever say in school because um, otherwise I wouldn't have anywhere to 
eat lunch or get changed or, um, or, or, you know, socialize. So I was like, I knew that was off the table. It was only when I got to university and met, uh, boys that I was like, oh, this also. Yes, please. Um, so then I figured out I was bi. Um, but it was, it's strange because people don't quite always assume this or believe this, but I, I was also raised in an incredibly liberal home in terms of at least talking. We talked about gay people. Gay people were like, that was a thing that was accepted. And I didn't know any and we didn't we speak of it that much, but it was like everyone like my parents are very socialist in their Catholicism um, and they think one feeds the other. Um, but I would say that when it came in practice to the reality of coming out in a Catholic home, then it became more of a difficulty. Um, but I would say that after an awful lot of hard work and self-reflection, my parents got there. And I think most religious parents do get there because I do actually think that most religious people, apart from like, obviously as a group, it can be, they can be read very differently. But I think one-to-one, especially with most people, A, love their kids. B, like, if you're religious, you probably want to do good. You probably have empathy. You probably want everyone around you to live the best lives they can. It's just that you differ on how that's done. Um, but yeah, no, it was definitely difficult. And it was def- I was definitely aware all the way through my teenage years that it was sinful and bad and perceived as disgusting and perceived as extremely fringe. Uh, so it um so yes it did but does that make it hotter as an adult that you're breaking all the, the, all the rules um, of your childhood <laughs> no I think it might still be bound up too much in trauma but I get why from your perspective it would be no uh, yeah I can see how that would be a, but no it definitely was just too um to I think it definitely makes it cooler like yeah. I definitely look back and go like by 18, I was sure and I was going to say it and I was going to back myself up and I was happy to have the argument. And I debated at university and in school and had like debated about queer rights and gay rights in a very theoretical sense without acknowledge- like without openly acknowledging those things. So I'd had time to practice and I was like, good to go. And I think that's quite cool because I, I don't think it ever occurred to me, but I could have just kept it a secret for a while (laughs) like I could have done that um which I kind of wish I'd thought of but I didn't I was too brazen I think it's I'm sort of interested in the sort of genesis as you a comedian but you weren't you were you wanted to be an actor right originally so you you were you went to drama school presumably after university uh and to central which is a very good drama school uh so you were sort of obviously pushing in that direction and at what point did you you're obviously doing public speaking and things like that but a what? And you seem very naturally funny to me. Thanks. That's all right. Uh, and in all the stuff I've listened to, you know, in conversation and including this one, um, but uh, that I've been listening to today, uh, would, was it was was comedy just something that kind of occurred to you a few years ago, or was it in your blood before that? Do you think? I don't think it was in my blood at all. I don't think anyone would have described me as the funny girl in any way, shape, or form. I was like a really keen nerd and. Uh, then a very competitive debater and uh, very took myself very seriously. Um, but I think a couple of things that happened that changed that. I was after university. I mean, I've talked about this a lot of times, but 
I was hospitalized and yeah. got this like had this hugely shame laden experience of having like come out as the queer one and then being like what I perceived as the broken one and then didn't do any of the things in the order that I was meant to because instead of going to wherever I should have been going on to get a job I went to hospital and then went to drama school and those two were not different enough but the point is that um I wanted to be an actor but my parents wanted me to have a you know, mortgage, which is t- now I realize they were right. Um, but so I did theater at night during my degree, my undergrad, and then did an MA in Central. And I think Central also partly broke me in a way that I needed to be broken for comedy um, because it was awful. I don't, I hated it. It was bad. Yeah. yeah. In, especially in a one year course in drama school, I think how most of the like prestigious ones work is that they break you down and then they build you back up. But in a year, they only have time to break you down and then they just fuck you out on the street and you're like, oh, okay. Um, but I somehow ended up on a course of people. All of the men were from Yorkshire and all of the women were on juice cleanses. And I don't know how that division worked, but I was not either. <laughs> and there was one other redhead and she was Australian and we just sort of held each other close for the year and tried to get three meals a day and it was a lot and I hated it but it made me sort of uh it made me disillusioned with acting and okay. um and then I didn't really get any work um because I had no fucking clue about the industry um and then I was bored and fell into comedy by I was running a women's night in property in the job I was temping at. And they were like, last year we had cocktails and manicures. And I was like, that seems binary and prescriptive. And they were like, cool, then you pick something. And I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> so, then, so then I organized a comedy night. And then the people who ran that were like, you seem gobby. Do you want to give it a go? Are you like this when you're sober kind of thing? And um, and that's how, that is how I got into comedy. And then... Then I did it and I was just addicted, like instantly. I don't know if you had that, but it was like. Well, I was, I just always wanted to do it. I just, I was always into comedy and, and writing and coming up with stuff. And I, you know, and, and for a while I wanted to be an actor when I was young, but it was near, it was always comedy that I was interested in. And I don't think I thought, you know, I was, I grew up in Somerset, which is, you know, the same as being in Ireland. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, I did, it didn't seem like a possibility that, you know, you could, I would watch things on TV and go, wouldn't it be amazing to be in The Young Ones or something yeah. like that, you know? So it's the idea of it actually being a reality seemed so impossible that I, you know, it was what I wanted to do, but I didn't think it was possible. So it was only when I went to university and started doing okay within university circles. We did comedy at school, you know, we did write our own stuff at school. Really? So it was, yeah, it was stuff I was interested in, you know, something I was interested in. So I was writing sketches and just learning comedy. I wasn't really interested in music. I was interested in, you know, words and comedy. That's so cool, so, though. We didn't have anything yeah. like that in... I didn't have it in school. I didn't have it in university. I mean, I think it was probably there in university. It just... I'd never been told I was funny ever. So... Yeah. I think that's... The other thing is, like, you can be... um, You can be, like, a, a class clown or, like, a guy who's really funny on stag do's and be hopeless at, as a stand-up. And you can sure. be, like, kind of a like pedantic introvert and be an amazing stand-up so yeah not that I'm either no I think it's true well I think you know what's interesting is the more you know I obviously have talked to a lot of comedians on this and I'm I am interested in the in the genesis and and as Robin Ince's I was talking about Robin Ince's book a lot last year um but just what what makes people become a comedian and I don't think there is 
anything, but the things that, you know, the things but like having a different lifestyle, having mental illness, having an authority figure, which are all things that uh, that you kind of tick those boxes somewhere along the line. So I think, but but no, you know, but I I think I, you know, I had quite a straight up bringing in sort of every sense really. And I don't think I, I wasn't rebellious um, really. I was, I was a bit naughty because I was trying to be funny, but that was it. But I was... <laughs> You know, my, but my dad was my headmaster, which is the closest I can get to it. But in the show I did about that, I kind of concluded I was interested in comedy way before before that. So I don't it think that's what wasn't even about you, Dad. <laughs> Fuck you. Yes. It wasn't. You know, I was just. I've I've always I've always loved people who make me laugh, and I've always loved comedy, which I guess is why I'm doing this. You know, and why I'm okay at this because I. I still, unlike some middle-aged comedians, I still like. Yeah. Yeah, they still like comedy, and I still like new comedy, and you know, I'm kind of interested in in the form so it's uh you know it's but yes yeah, so i don't know i think i think my i don't think i've really got any massive um you know event in my life like losing a parent or something like that is, is a lot of comedians have lost a parent or lost someone very significant in in their childhood but i think you know it is it is a way of coming to terms with something isn't it yeah i think i, suppose. I think death definitely plays into it um yeah. i i do think that like of listening to you talk about it, I guess it kind of occurs to me that like for me, comedy has at least, I don't know if it's the genesis or the consequence, but it's been sort of a subversion of shame. Like all the things that should have, that were bad and that I associated with my weakness or my failures or my wrongness are somewhat celebrated in comedy or at least like they're either celebrated in comedy because they make me distinct or they give me a point of view, or they are, I now have a new place to go. So where in my brain, they used to go to like a spiral of shame and doom. Now, just at least a tiny part of my brain goes, is it funny? (laughs) Will it be like, like my, my world blew up this year to a degree. And still two weeks later, my brain was still like, I mean, is it kind of funny? Like, it's a little bit funny. <laughs> oh, there'll be it. There'll be an award-winning show for probably both I of don't, you. I don't think that. <laughs> you can't share you an award, jo- Richard. You can't. <laughs> you <the new> Sarah <laughs> Basco and John Robbins. You're both gonna gonna get nominated. I don't know about that, then, but then I have it all again. But I do know that, like, yeah, it's. I think that's a, and I think that's a healthy thing, and I think other people probably have it with like art or you know whatever people's passions are but I didn't have it until I figured out that I liked stand-up sure well I think it's you know and there are lots of places including your stand-up shows uh where people can hear you talk about all of these things uh very wittily and very but but you know I think you are very eloquent about the stuff so it's very interesting to hear you uh talk about OCD but I think useful again for anyone going through those those things but you know but also well I think you're the the roast battle that uh, you did with your your ex girlfriend was one of the what, absolute highlights, I think, of that series as well. It was a really, really funny uh, roast Thank battle, you. but also, but as the point was made by I think one of you at the time, I and mean, maybe it was <laughs> your girlfriend, but uh, you know the the idea of two uh, out, you know, women who were going out with each other talking on TV about about those exact things. For even for you and you're you know you're much younger than me was would not have happened in your childhood so, so true. you know that's uh that's really important and really great and it's re- it's worth looking at because it's i don't even want to ruin it thank you i agree i think it was yeah really, it is something i'm really proud of and that we did together and that was cool <laughs> yeah. and we'll have that and that's the thing is i think like 
two things on that. One, when we were going on, they were like, you're our first ever lesbian couple, as in even in the American version. And I, we were like, wow. how the fuck is that true? And why is that still true? But cool. But how is that still true? But cool. But also like that, that it reminds me of a nice thought, which is that like, I don't think relationships that are over are necessarily relationships that are failed. And ours was meant to end when it did, but we did some really fucking cool things. And I, we definitely learned to do stand up. I learned to do stand up in that relationship and having somebody who understood comedy and who cared about every fucking trip to Northampton or Southampton or wherever the hell I didn't know I was going when I agreed to do the gig for 50 pounds. Um, it was a perfect storm for making us good comics, I think. Sure. But I think also being able to, you know, being able to discuss those subjects, uh, openly and honestly, and, you know, and, it's sort of things have moved on enough. I think that it's you know it's it's more than being, you know, it's not like you're the first people who have done it, but that's better because then you can it, you, you're moving on to it's it's more about you you as human beings <laughs> rather than hey look here's the first person who's ever been this doing comedy, which is often you know it's a very very it's very difficult to be the you know the the first even female stand up really you know with. It was. It was. You know, in the in the seventies and eighties, Marty Kane or Victoria Wood were like, "What? What? You know, there's a funny woman." It was a. It was such a rarity. Oh, we're uh, so and, lucky. We're so lucky. Like, yeah. and I think that all the time when I'm in places like the store, to be like, so grateful to people like Joe Brand who fucking took the brunt of that shit. And it doesn't mean that it's okay now, but it does mean there's a breath of us and there's a couple of us at the same time in the same place and. Yeah, we actually get to talk about what we want to talk about and not excuse our, or explain our presence, which is really lucky. Sure, but it's great. So it's it's true. I mean, we won't. The only thing I was I was interested in about um, just about you. I've heard you talk about it on, a, on another podcast briefly, but like when you when you were in therapy and all the things that get tried, you know, with therapy, therapy is a very interesting subject because you look back 50 years at what they were doing in therapy and you go that's mental why were they doing that to people and I wondered out of the things that they went through for you in this kind of quite intensive four months of therapy uh which which of the things do you think in 50 years time (laughs) or now people would look back and go that's that was nuts so when I why were they doing that yeah I mean I agree with you in when I was in hospital and um, they were doing a practice that was at the time questionable, right? So like, um, I read a lot about my illness. What? The obsessive was obsessive. Yes. And, um, and it was very much like up, like a contentious form of treatment at the time. And I don't know if they still do it, but it's called flooding. And it's where people with OCD are exposed to their exact fear. So the the theory being, if you make them do it, they will understand that it doesn't cause the effect. The brain will learn that it doesn't cause the effect that they think they will do, which is like ultimately where you're trying to get to with OCD, but not necessarily where you take somebody who, for example, has washed their hands to such a state that they can't open them because they're so hard or somebody who hasn't gone outside their front door because they're so terrified of other people. I wouldn't say those people should be like made touch a toilet seat or put on public transport and left alone um, whilst watched from afar. I would say that's pretty fucking toxic. And so um, flooding was a big one. And I had real difficulty touching other people, especially men. And um, 
And I remember one of the first days and like even just to admit that to a group of people, a strangers is so fucking terrifying. And like to admit what you think will happen if you do is so embarrassing and shame laden. And then they're like, okay, thank you for sharing. All right, everyone up. Catherine will be around to touch all of you. What the fuck? (laughs) Like it was it was so problematic and and just this old man leading this group of course and um i think forget in the future i hate that now yeah well that sounds like a work experience person is going to go <laughs> have you thought about just the people who are scared of stuff just make them do the thing it's like that they they're scared. Why are they scared of it? It's all right. They give it. Let make them do it. It's absolutely what some <laughs> fucking channel four producer would pitch as a show. Like, yeah. okay, so you have a mental illness. How do we get you to do the mental illness, but like for other people's amusement? Okay, great. Let's have that. Fucking horrible. Yeah. Oh dear. Well, uh, uh, it, it, overall, it was a, a positive experience, though. Right in terms of it's, it helped a, a, a deal to go through those four months oh my god it saved my life yeah it's still saving yeah, my yeah. life yeah 100 yeah. percent. it saved my life yeah um right well not that guy let, fuck there, that guy not that guy but the rest of them guy. yeah <laughs> uh, there's lots and lots of great interviews you've done about this and uh i would advise people if they're interested in that to go and listen to those because uh, we don't have time to talk about it in the depth that it uh, it needs to be talked about. Let's uh, we look. We've already see. We've already done an hour, and it's gone by very quickly. I said to this to you, and like, there's loads of stuff I wanted to talk to you about. Um, but um, let's talk. Uh, what with with this year having been forced to come online myself more than I. I mean, obviously, I was online a lot anyway. But to do these podcasts remotely rather than with an audience, I'm, I really want to get back to having an audience because it is. It's sort of what made this podcast a bit different than others as yeah. well. And it's a different experience. I think for the comedians, it's a different experience. Having said that, I've really enjoyed doing these online um, and uh, we will be carrying on doing them online uh, for the foreseeable future, I think. Um, but uh, I wanted to try and get as many people on uh, this year as who are doing interesting things with uh, the internet and have kind of coped with the loss of all their gigs by starting new stuff up, which you've done. So you've you've started an online gig. Yeah, uh, I have. So tell us about that. I would say being a cam clown was not the dream. That is true. But here we find ourselves. And yeah, I run a weekly gig called Gigless and it's on every Thursday. Um, And I was really skeptical of them, but it's actually turned out to be really magic. And it's this thing that I have to have something new for every week and where I have other comics on. And they're always brilliant because... Actually, right now, everyone's really grateful for a gig. So I have had the most amazing lineups. You're doing it. I, I'm i I'm so excited. But I feel like I've gotten you and other people where I'm like, I can't fucking believe they've agreed to do this. Gig. I mean, please don't <laughs> fail. But I'm like, I can't believe you're agreeing to do this gig. And, and it's been amazing. And what's nice about it is, is that I've had lots of really new, brilliant new acts on. And they're getting their groceries paid for for the week because another big name has agreed to do it and that means people come to the show and I just, it's been a really nice way to land like spread because I split all the um or the ticket sales evenly so that's been a really nice like thing I felt like I could do but mainly like 200 people come every week and and the thing about it is that's cool I think that we forget about the internet is like it's yes it's not the same as being in an intimate space but also people watch it from all over the world and they watch it like people who couldn't necessarily go to not just not just because they don't live in London but maybe accessibility wise or cost wise wouldn't be able to go to stand up as much 
or just because they've got kids like you know that's you know you've got a family absolutely. at home you can't go out but you can absolutely sit downstairs while your kids are asleep and watch a show online I mean I've absolutely. said this a lot this year but it's uh, I really hope comedy clubs and some of them definitely are but there's a big lesson to learn for for the live gigs because you can film all these all gigs can be filmed and there's a whole new revenue stream for for everyone, you know, that they can then share against, <laughs> make some money for themselves and share amongst the apps. Absolutely. And also, like, people can also, like, be more interactive. As in, like, the, some of the times I book lineups because people are like, oh, hey, in the chat are like, hey, what do we think about this person? And then, uh, you know, it helps. It's more, you actually feel more communication between you and the audience. And so it's not the kind of intimate you get in a comedy club, but I do think it's a different kind of community and intimacy I mean, God, I'm really, I'm really up on the, I really love online gigs now. It turns out I was, I was so skeptical, but now I sound like a fervent enthusiast, which I am. But again, I think again, it's something that comedians have to realize. And I think like, it's again, it'll be, I was, I'm very lucky in that I just got into online stupidly long ago yeah. and so was absolutely geared up for for this year and you know knew what, and understood the possibilities of it. But so many comedians had their eggs in one basket and then, and I know you can't. It's very difficult to just start something up. So I think I think comedians have to realize they have to be juggling a few different. You can't just stop doing those once once you're back in the clubs. But there's lots of appealing. You know, it's appealing. The idea of just being able to do a twenty minute set from my attic and then go back downstairs and have a drink with my wife is you know rather than driving to South London. Or something oh my god, it's so good. It's so good. You yeah. could be finished and in the bath in ten minutes. Although I will say, there's a unique coldness in the shame of dying online and then closing your laptop to the silence of your own home it's like <laughs> at least if you're in Northampton you feel like you can leave it there get on the bus and drive away from it like you're somehow distancing from the death but there is something about just closing the okay thank you that was everything this. I'm doing has no like live or you know there's people in chat rooms where I don't often look at it and nearly everything I'm doing okay uh and so I don't know like all the all the I know I don't know I've done 25 episodes of my ventriloquist show I have no <laughs> idea if it's funny or, I think it's funny but I've no idea <laughs> I, have no, I have nothing apart from that clap I've done the clap of grand I've done that Heart for theatre with the d- dummy and kind of wimped out doing what I do with it anyway. And I've no idea if it's funny. I mean, I suspect it is funny. But it, people are tuning in. That's bad so though. Do you just so you just go off like what your instinct is based on how it went that evening? You don't want to hear people. I just decide whether I think it's funny or not. I mean, you know, people <sighs> get in touch with you and let you know a bit. So I know that people are enjoying it. But uh, also, I like. Mean, it took a little getting over, but I did a few things with a couple of people we've had on. Uh, Stevie Martin uh, and Bill Zaffer had me on their improv, you know, very improvised yeah. shows, and you kind of think, well, actually, this there's something very freeing about going into a whole evening without with no, with basically nothing, which is what I'm doing mainly with that show now is just basically going right. Let's see what come. I'll think about what's in the news, and then I'll see what the puppets say. And then <laughs> we'll go from there. I'll see what the puppet says to me. That's <laughs> see what the puppet says. Amazing. And so you know, it's a, it, it. So that's very liberating and very interesting. And there's absolutely no way I would have got it. I, I think in the back of my mind, I've been thinking I quite like to do something that those ventriloquist dummies of my great granddad's ventriloquist dummies. But you know, I'm, I can't ever see. You know, maybe a late night Edinburgh show where you mess around in an attic somewhere. Yeah, yeah. But but actually, be able to do it actually in an attic every week, and then you just you know, and and work out where you go with it as you're doing it. It's really interesting. So I think there's a there's so much creativity possibilities with the creative possibilities within 
I do ge- you know, genuinely agree. What's, a, what's available to us I now. agree. I think it's a really special time. And actually, the gig that I run has provided this really weird space for me because on stage, I'm relatively high status. If you fuck with me, I will end you. And or in my head, that's how I feel. As it turns out, I think that presents actually as like, I can say whatever I want because I actually look like a little doll and everyone's like, she's so nice. She couldn't possibly mean it. And I'm like, I fucking hate you. But... That works in clubs, but it doesn't work in my gig because they have come, some of these people have come 25 weeks in a row. They think I'm their friend and they like me and they're invested in me, but I can't just turn around and be a cutting little bitch if they say something, if they ask a question. (laughs) So now if they ask a question, I actually have to answer it and engage with people and bring people in. And it's, that shouldn't be a new challenge, but it is a new (laughs) challenge. And it's exciting because then it actually means I'm more open and will respond to questions that I haven't thought to ask or that they'll just ask me about anything um, because there isn't a stage and lighting and enough of a blockade. And, And that's, I guess it's the same thing where you go in a little bit more defenses down and you're more responsive and it does bring up stuff that you wouldn't have otherwise, which is cool. So, See, 2020 has been a good it's year. It's not all bad. It's been a good year. Look, we take George my bro- is a fucking I, This is like Richard drama Herring. school. I, I broke you down at the beginning <laughs> in order to build you up. And look where we've got to. This has all been me. I've orchestrated this whole thing. God. And now you can go out into 2021 where everything's going to be fine. I'm glad you finally agree. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. oh look! There was—I mean, there was going to be loads more I was going to talk to you about, but this has been absolutely great. I think you're uh, terrific. I don't know—I haven't seen much of you like live, live, but I've seen you online and uh, on the Match Report, which I love. I think you're great. The if you uh, maybe there's a great thing with puppets with, that, oh, that I like. Irish I'm not border. obsessed with puppets. <laughs> uh, the Irish border, explain the Irish border with the Sesame Street characters and the thing you did with the. Uh, about the uh, with uh, Felicity and uh, here about oh um, immigrants that people find fitting acceptable. in as an immigrant is absolutely brilliant. So do check that out. I think that's even on your website. Thank you. Maybe I really appreciate it. Thank but you. That's good. But thanks so much for doing this and being my last uh, live guest of twenty twenty. Thanks for having uh, me. It's been uh, terrific. Uh, talking of ventriloquism, my guest next week is uh, the UK's second best ventriloquist, Nina Conti. So uh, be in- I'll give her some advice. What's her name? Next week, it's going to be uh, Nina Conti. Oh, right. She you does puppet it? stuff, yeah. does she? Yeah, she does some puppet oh, okay. stuff. Okay. Um, and uh, she's all right. Yeah. She's not. She's no Richard Herring. Let's just <laughs> put it that way. Let's, let's put it that way. Um, thank you very much. Uh, do check out uh, Gigless. It's absolutely uh, terrific. And, uh, what, and what I liked about it, the, one of the first times I retweeted it, was it just you had like one token man and it was all female comics on it and that's again that's something you can do when you're in control it is the the preferred booking policy of gigless (laughs) yes (laughs) it's really good it's really great to see and they were all like top rate fantastic comics as well anyway i'll let you go thank you very much ladies and gentlemen Catherine bauer thank you very much see you next time in 2021 it's going to be great in 2021 (laughs) hooray You have been listening to Rahalastapa with me, Richard Herring, and my guest, Catherine Bohart. The music's by Pest. You know all the deals by now, my fan friends. I'm in dead to my producer and director and friend, Chris Evans, not that one. 
I would also like to thank Ben Walker for all the work he does on uh, helping us with the advertising stuff at the moment and hopefully we'll be back in full production mode at some point in 2021. Thank you to ACAST, British Comedy Guide, Ian Tunes, all that. All those guys! Um, and uh, this is a Sky Potato Fuzz and GoFasterStripe.com production. Why not head to GoFasterStripe.com? You can buy downloads, DVDs and books of mine and loads of other brilliant comedians. GoFasterStripe.com slash badges if you want to help us make more content. And um, I think for the, I think at the moment if you buy any of my physical products, you will get five Punani sticker album stickers as well if you're trying to complete your collection. Do keep your eye on Twitter where I will retweet swaps. All right, my fine friends. See you next time. On...